Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Taming the Shrew podcast. This week, we're going to be covering post-ROS patients who do not have a STEMI on their initial post-ROS EKG. Now, this is a recap of our most recent Journal Club discussion. We'll be led in this discussion by Drs. Jared Hamm, David Habib, and Mike Klasky. Now, logically speaking, patients who have suffered a VFib, VTAC cardiac arrest it would make sense that ischemia would be a common cause of dysrhythmia and therefore the cardiac arrest. So even if the first post-ROS EKG doesn't necessarily show a non-ST elevation MI, one would think that the possibility of ischemia as the inciting cause is so high that uh, taking these patients immediately to the cath lab would be likely to reveal culprit lesions and that the treatment of those culprit lesions with stenting or other interventions would likely lead to improved patient outcomes. However, the evidence that surrounds this particular topic is not 100% clear. And actually, we have three articles today where we will be discussing this evidence and we'll encounter some of these contradictions. Jared Hamm, I am one of the current third-year residents at University of Cincinnati. So we chose this article because this is actually a not uncommon and somewhat of a vexing problem that we've encountered multiple times, especially as third-year residents in our program. And there are several studies that have been published, and there are more on the way recently on this specific topic. And this paper in particular kind of represents a historical perspective and then a jumping-off point uh, for some of the newer RCTs that are coming out. We thought that this was important because the question of what to do with patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and no STEMI uh, after ROSC on their EKG is difficult, particularly in resource-limited settings, and well-researched guidelines we thought would be sorely needed. So some details of this study in particular. Uh, The design is that it's a meta-analysis of published studies that are looking at the impact of early versus delayed or no coronary angiography following out-of-hospital arrest without STEMI. It was a structured search of literature databases, including Medline, Embase, Ovid, by two independent investigators. Their primary outcome was short and long-term mortality, and they defined that as both at discharge and then long-term was at 6 and 14 months. A secondary outcome was good neurological outcome at discharge and follow-up, and then included in the meta-analysis were eight studies. There was one RCT, and there were seven observational studies that made the inclusion criterion of the final analysis. The results for early coronary angiography included decreased short-term and long-term mortality with an odds ratio of 0.46 and 0.59, and then also improved neurologic outcomes at discharge and follow-up for early coronary angiography with an odds ratio of 2 and 1.48. So the authors of this paper concluded that the results support early coronary angiography in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest presenting without STEMI on their post-ROSC EKG. Kind of in looking at the paper and thinking about it, you know, up to the point of the publication here, there hadn't yet been very many great studies on the question. And this is a meta-analysis, but it is largely based on observational data, and many of the individual papers had confidence intervals that crossed uh, the null value. 
the only RCT that was included was small, and it was actually a pilot study. It wasn't power to detect benefits and mortality or neurologic outcomes. So ultimately, we felt like the data wasn't necessarily flawed. It just isn't robust. And the paper itself does add to the growing body of literature and supports undertaking of future RCTs, uh, two of which uh, Mike and Dave are going to be talking about. Hi, everyone. My name is Mike Klasky, and I'm a third-year emergency medicine resident at the University of Cincinnati. I'm going to be discussing a paper that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine about two months ago called the COAC trial. It stands for coronary angiography after cardiac arrest without ST segment elevation. It was by Lemkes et al. Um, It's currently being heralded as a somewhat landmark trial in cardiac arrest care. Uh, The reason that the trial is so important is that it was the first perspective randomized control trial to compare immediate versus delayed angiography in cardiac arrest patients who had a shockable rhythm and obtained ROSC without a STEMI on their post-ROSC EKG. Uh, The reason that this paper is so important is because most of us have been in this exact situation several times where we successfully resuscitate an out-of-hospital V-fib arrest and obtain an EKG with no clear STEMI. Um, And traditional teaching that's pretty much become dogma in emergency medicine is that these patients should be taken to the cath lab even if they don't have a STEMI because the underlying cause of their cardiac arrest was most likely acute coronary syndrome. However, there's a dearth of literature to support this practice pattern, and this paper does a really good job of addressing and answering the question of whether these patients need to be taken directly to the cath lab or if their cath can be delayed. So jumping into the nuts and bolts of the study, this was a prospective, randomized, open-label, multi-center trial performed in 19 Netherlands hospitals, comparing immediate cath to delayed cath in non-STEMI post-ROSC patients. They enrolled patients between 2015 and 2018. Patients included in this study had an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with an initial shockable rhythm, either V-fib or pulseless VTAC, or were treated with an AED and were unconscious, defined as a GCS less than 8, after ROSC. Patients were excluded if they had a STEMI on their EKG, including a new left bundle branch block, if they were in shock, defined as a systolic blood pressure less than 90 for greater than 30 minutes, or had an obvious non-coronary cause of their arrest. They also excluded patients with severe renal dysfunction, or those who had a suspected or confirmed stroke or intracranial hemorrhage. Patients were randomized into either an immediate cath group who had a cardiac catheterization within two hours of randomization, or a delayed cath where their angiography was delayed until after they woke up. They did allow for crossover from the delayed cath group to an urgent cath if the patient showed any signs of cardiogenic shock, recurrent arrhythmias, or recurrent ischemia. In patients who underwent a cath, unstable lesions were defined as 70% stenosis and were intervened upon, while those found to have multivessel disease ultimately underwent a cabbage based on their syntax scores and local protocols. Their cabbage was delayed until after they woke up and had neurologic recovery. The author's primary endpoints was survival at 90 days, while the secondary endpoint was 90-day survival with good cerebral performance using the CPC scale. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with this, levels 1 and 2 represent patients with mild to moderate deficits, but were still able to perform their ADLs independently at home. Uh, They had a list of secondary outcomes, including myocardial injury based on their troponin, 
their acute kidney injury score based on Aiken criteria, whether they needed dialysis, um, how long they were on vasopressors or inotropes, and how long they were mechanically ventilated. So they enrolled a total of 552 patients, um, which they calculated would give them power enough to detect a 40% difference in survival between the two groups. Uh, they used this number based on the paper that Jared just spoke about, uh, where they showed a 42% difference in mortality between patients who received an immediate cath. Overall, there were 273 patients in the immediate cath group and 265 patients in the delayed cath group. 97% of patients in the immediate cath group underwent a cath, 33% of whom had a PCI, while 6% underwent a cabbage. In the delayed cath group, 65% of patients underwent a cardiac cath, 24% of whom had a PCI, while 9% had a cabbage. It's important to note that 14% of patients who were in the delayed cath group crossed over into the urgent cath group, and the median time to cardiac catheterization was 48 minutes in the immediate group and five days in the delayed group. The author's results showed that there was no significant mortality difference between the two groups, and there was no statistically significant difference in any of their secondary outcomes between the two groups. So although this was a negative study, I found it overall very well done, and I understand why this is being considered a landmark study. All the previous data published for cathing VFib patients who don't have a STEMI were observational studies, and this is the first prospective study that we have, and it shows it does not actually improve survival. There is overall really good adherence to the study protocol with only five total violations, um, and none of the patients were lost to follow-up. The two big limitations in this study are important to talk about, the first of which is that those who were in shock were excluded. Based on my personal experience, uh, these patients often require significant vasopressor support, and it's unfortunate to not see these patients included in the trial, but I understand the pragmatism behind this decision. The second limitation is the overall generalizability of the patient population studied compared to our patient population. The times reported are somewhat incredible. 80% of the patients had a witnessed arrest in both groups, and the mean time to CPR was two minutes, and the overall mean time until ROSC was about 15 minutes. Uh, anecdotally, it's fairly uncommon to see this in our emergency department. Oftentimes, these patients have a lot longer downtime. While the patient population in this study had similar rates of coronary artery disease to our patient population, overall about 65%, only 5% of these patients were found to have acute thrombotic occlusions, which is significantly less than previous observational studies, and far fewer patients underwent PCI than anticipated. I also found it interesting that the overall survival was greater than 60%, most of whom were discharged with a CPC score of one or two, which the authors mentioned was also higher than anticipated, and could have affected the overall power of the trial. I see this as both a positive and a negative. While this could have been confounded by the overall healthier population in the Netherlands compared to our patient population in the US, and again limits its generalizability to our patient population, it shows that patients who have an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with a shockable rhythm do fairly well if we're able to obtain ROSC and we should continue to aggressively resuscitate these patients. 
It's important to notice that about 15% of patients in the delayed group needed to be taken to the cath lab early. So it's still important to get interventional cardiology involved early in the care of these patients and continue to reassess these patients for signs of cardiogenic shock using our physical exam and ultrasonography skills. The main takeaway from this study that I'll be applying to my practice is that while cardiac cath is an important part of the post-ROS care, if the patient doesn't have a STEMI or signs of cardiogenic shock, their cath can likely be, del be delayed with no harm to these select patients, and they can be safely admitted to the ICU for continued resuscitation. I'm Dave Habib. I'm one of the third-year residents at the University of Cincinnati uh, in the Department of Emergency Medicine, and I'm going to be talking about uh, the director subacute coronary angiography and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, uh, also known as the DISCO trial, uh, an initial pilot study of a randomized uh, clinical trial that is currently ongoing. Um, so, as the title suggests, this is a pilot phase of a larger study uh, taking place uh, in Sweden with plans to recruit a thousand patient cohort. This particular pilot was designed to look at feasibility and safety issues associated with their proposed protocol. Patients were randomized to immediate cardiac catheterization with goal of EMS arrival to cath time of less than 120 minutes versus standard of care um, cath no sooner than three days. Uh, a comparison STEMI group was also included and primary outcomes were feasibility of protocol slash adherence to protocol and safety um, specifically major and minor bleeding, renal failure, mortality, uh, and coronary angiography. Inclusion criteria were uh, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest with ROSC uh, with no evidence of STEMI or new left bundle branch block on EKG. Uh, so unlike some of the previous studies that have been done, uh, this one did not specifically look at the VFIB, VTAC population. Excluded were patients with obvious non-cardiac causes, uh, the terminally ill with life expectancy less than one year, uh, expected time to angiography less than 120 minutes, uh, and pregnant patients and patients with a GCS of greater than eight upon arrival. So they had recruited approximately 40 patients uh, in each of the three groups, uh, though a total of uh, 663 patients were potentially eligible. Notably, 125 patients were excluded for obvious non-cardiac causes. 11 were essentially awake with GCS greater than 8. 38 patients, doctors decided not to include despite fulfilling study criteria uh, and why that was was not well elucidated. And 86 were not included for unknown reasons. Median time to cath was 139 minutes. And to emphasize, that is from time of EMS arrival to time of cardiac catheterization. No differences were found in major bleeding or renal failure. 7.7% um, were found to be dead at 24 hours in the immediate angiography group, and approximately twice that were dead in 24 hours in the control group. The culprit lesion was found in around 30% of patients in immediate angiography, though Interestingly, culprit lesion was defined as greater than 50% stenosis, uh, which is somewhat of an arbitrary designation and not one that I think we would use in general practice to define a culprit lesion in patients with a cardiac arrest. The study protocol had also recommended intervention on all culprit uh, and all incidentally discovered lesions, and this pilot study found very poor adherence to this protocol, likely due to the low number provided for designation of a culprit lesion. 
I think this study accomplished its aims well, though those aims were relatively modest and purely designed to assist with the larger study, which is currently recruiting. I thought the inclusion of the STEMI group was wise and allows us to compare the immediate angiography group to a group that underwent similar intervention. I was particularly impressed that these patients had a EMS arrival to cardiac catheterization time of 135 minutes on average, uh, despite this not meeting the study's goal of 120 minutes. I also feel that this would likely not be a reasonable time to expect cardiac catheterization to be performed in most U.S. settings. Additionally, prevalence of positive cath findings will likely be highly dependent on the prevalence of underlying cardiac disease and the population being studied. So a U.S. population that may have a higher incidence of coronary artery disease may have very different results. Additionally, they did not do a statistical analysis on many of the additional outcome measures which were included in the study, but it would seem that the immediate angiography group had less pressure requirement and better survival. It will be interesting to see what the full study ultimately demonstrates. All right, and uh, finally today, we're going to be joined by uh, Dr. Justin Benoit, who's the site PI for the ACCESS trial, which sort of deals with some of these same questions that we are grappling with in this journal club. Dr. Benoit, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the ACCESS trial. What is this? Yeah, the ACCESS trial definitely is very related to all the articles you've uh, gone over today. Um, Once again, we're talking about uh, out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients. Um, And here, these are only patients who had an initial shockable rhythm. So when EMS or even a bystander first gets there and uses an AED, that first rhythm must have been either ventricular tachycardia or ventricular fibrillation. And now, you know, hopefully this patient gets a return of spontaneous circulation that's required for the access trial. And now they're in the emergency department and we're getting that first emergency department EKG and there's no STEMI on that EKG. What do you do with that patient? That's what you've been talking about. So for the access trial, they're randomized to immediate cardiac catheterization versus what you might call standard of care or ICU admission. And there's a pretty tight window for the access trial. These patients are truly being treated like a STEMI equivalent. So therefore, it's a 90-minute sort of door to balloon time. So that means from a research standpoint, we only have 45 minutes to sort of figure this out and get the patient enrolled. And then the patient's supposed to be leaving the emergency department at 45 minutes so that the cardiologist has another 45 minutes to basically get that balloon up. Um, It's a very pragmatic trial also because that's really it. The randomization is actually just to the cath lab very quickly. But beyond that, everything else is up to provider discretion. So what the cardiologist does in the cath lab is up to them. And even for patients that are randomized to kind of standard of care ICU admission, again, it's still up to the treating team. So the treating team is actually allowed to subsequently call cardiology and cardiology could even take them to the cath lab. But it's that idea of treating these out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients as a STEMI equivalent, even if there is no STEMI on their EKG. That's the whole point of the ACCESS trial. Got it. Now, how does that differ from what the COAC trial was uh, investigating? Didn't that, uh, didn't that trial just kind of answer everything that the ACCESS trial is trying to answer? Yeah, that's a great question. COACT superficially seems very similar to access, but there are some key differences. 
One of the things that Access is trying to do is be very selective about what patients get into the study. And most importantly, that initial rhythm is critical. The thought being that ventricular fibrillation and ventricular tachycardia are symptoms of underlying coronary artery disease. So you have to have VF or VT as your initial cardiac rhythm to get into access. COACT wasn't quite as selective when you really dig into the results and the methods. There may have been some patients that got into COACT who did not have an initial VF or VT rhythm, and those patients would be less likely to have coronary artery disease and therefore less likely to benefit from an emergent cardiac catheterization. Also, the timing here is very critical. When we think about a STEMI, we all sort of recognize that that 90-minute door-to-balloon time is important, and we hold ourselves to that 90 minutes, and so does Access. It wants that 90-minute interval. COACT was a little bit longer of an interval, and so as that interval gets longer and longer, the benefit may decrease, and that may have resulted in sort of the negative trial status for COACT. Finally, COACT had a little bit of a different inclusion-exclusion criteria, and so some of the sickest patients, especially patients who were in shock, like cardiogenic shock, were actually excluded from COACT, and you could make an argument that those patients are the ones who are most likely to benefit from that emergent cardiac catheterization. So although COACT, you know, answers some great questions, I think there may still be a subset, a very select cohort that does better with emergent cardiac catheterization, and that's what Access is trying to answer. Gotcha. And I guess just sort of in closing, is what's your just global thoughts on the management of these, these patients? What is kind of most important? What should we be focusing on? That sort of thing. Yeah, I think patient selection is really key. When I think about this issue, I often think about the recently published endovascular studies for stroke. You know, now endovascular, uh, you know, studies to uh, are floridly positive. You know, it would be unconsciousable not to do it. But it wasn't that long ago that there were a series of negative trials that came out. And I think that was because of patient selection. We didn't know exactly who needed that therapy. I think this emergent cardiac catheterization is the similar issue. I think COACT is showing us that if you just grab, you know, a, a little bit more of a general cardiac arrest population, maybe there's no benefit. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a specific patient population that's going to benefit. I also think that timing is really critical of these things. You know, just like the timing of interventions during the cardiac arrest is important, there's probably some timing issues post-cardiac arrest that are also important. So as we continue to move forward, we need to pay attention to what patients we're selecting and when we're doing these interventions, because I think that's key to survival. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. And uh, thanks everybody out there for joining us again on the Taming the Shrew podcast. And we'll see you next time.